Good morning, church. My name is Jordan um, Bertrand, and this is my husband, Matt. And um, together we help lead um, one of the community groups here at Redeemer Odessa. And this morning um, I have the privilege of listening to him bring the word to us. And so I get to read the text um, before we get started. So if y'all would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. Um, And if not, it should be up on the screen too. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can y'all hear me okay? Okay. Thank you guys for coming this morning. Uh, My name is Matt Bertrand, like my wife said. Um, This is a little different for me. Usually I get to hide in the back, kind of where Justin is, and hide behind all you guys. Or I'm hiding behind a guitar up on stage. So it's a little odd for me to be up here. I'm glad Devontae's here to help encourage me as I go along. So um, I am definitely not the lead pastor here. So... If I bomb this, and uh, just please don't take that as a personal reflection on the church. Come back another time. You can hear Tanner or someone else and have a better overall experience, okay? Um, So as we just heard, I'm going to be talking about a few more parables that deal with vegetation, okay? So I find it funny because I'm not a gardener at all. Um, (laughs) I have no green thumb. Neither does my wife. Uh, Our house is kind of where things. I had to throw you in there, too. Okay, our house is where plants come to die. Um, so, we, we, for example, I planted this one thing recently. I don't even know what it was. We were given these free seeds with an order we picked up at Lowe's. I don't even know what it was. I was just like, oh, those look pretty. I'm going to try and plant them. And they've kind of just remained this green stem. They have not really even changed it at all. So they either die a horrible, tragic death, or they just kind of blah. Okay? Uh, so... Gardening, horticulture, that kind of stuff is just not in me, unfortunately. Um, now, except for goat heads, okay? Goat heads. Uh, <laughs> if there is ever a plant that symbolizes a Genesis 3 kind of fallen humanity, it's got to be the goat head, amen? You can't get rid of them. And after all this rain, they've just exploded everywhere, okay? So I'm good at growing those. Um, so it's just kind of funny that... Tanner handed me this, this scripture to, to preach on today. So besides not being a very good gardener, I'm also really a control freak, which kind of ties into the, today as well, okay? Um, I stress over my kids a lot. I stress over a lot of things. I stress over um, how they're going to behave, okay? I stress over making sure that they do X. Uh, 
I have a stranglehold on a lot of things. I try and control and make my youngest daughter love me. Okay, I struggle with that a lot because she and I, she, she kind of tolerates me in short spurts, but that's about it. Um, it's been a struggle for a, a good while, so we'll get there. Um, but even things like I have to tell my kids the right way to cut strawberries, right? That's weird. Okay, you can admit it. I admit it. Um, or how to hold, you know, the, the broom and sweep properly, you know. Uh, silly things like that, like cutting the grass. I have to cut the grass when it's a certain length or else it's going to be hard and it's going to shock the grass. And then my mind just goes off because I feel like I have to do this with things, right? So control or the illusion of control is very much a core idol of mine. And it plays into a lot of stuff that I struggle with. And I want to show today that control, or really the illusion of control, uh, you know, we really have no power, be it the farmer or the control freak. We don't have that authority, okay? Now, a few weeks ago, Tanner, he spoke about the parables of, he told us about the parable of the seed cast onto the four soils, okay? So the soils kind of represent the receptivity of men's hearts. There's the hard soil, okay? So picture like a caliche road, right? The seed falls on it. Before anything can even happen, this greedy bird comes, snatches it up, takes it away. This represents the enemy stealing that message from us. I feel like I keep turning this side to side. Um, Then we had the seed that fell on shallow soil. So it sprouted up quickly, had very shallow roots, but as soon as trials hit, as soon as that sun hits that plant, it just withers. It can't take the heat, if you will, okay? And then we had the seed that fell amongst the thorns and thistles, okay? Think of everyone's backyard right now, okay? So these weeds all grow up, and they choke out, meaning like the concern for worldly things, be it uh, maybe uh, stress, financial issues, jobs, status, all that kind of stuff, sin, it chokes out that joy. But then we have the fertile soil. We have the good, healthy soil. Okay, so that seed hits, it grows hardy roots, and it bears good fruit. Okay. God's word found a home in that soil. And then last week, Mark brought to us the the sermon about the lamp and not hiding the lamp, not hiding that light. So Jesus is the lamp here. Some texts say like a lamp, but Mark, I believe, specifically says the lamp, meaning Christ. We have that light now. He is the light that we're supposed to take into the world. So what I hope to do today, with God's grace, is to show how the story of the four soils combined with the, the lamp really kind of leads into what Jesus is talking about today, okay? Um, how when we combine God's power and plan with man's actions, it leads to the beauty of the eternal church. As we look into the text today, I hope that you see no matter the skills of the farmer, no matter how much desire for control we might have, ultimately we have no power over this. These parables aren't about you, okay? I just want to lay that out there, okay? They're not about you as much as they are about God doing what God will, okay? So let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Lord, uh, I feel like I'm not very qualified for this, um, but you've called me here, and so, God, I'm just trusting in you this morning. You are good. You are gracious. You are kind. Um, 
Lord, I pray that your word would just ring true. I pray that you would speak today. I pray that there would be freedom. I pray for uh, barriers and walls being broken down. I pray for freedom and joy. God, most of all, I just pray that you would be glorified here today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So now most people agree that Jesus is kind of still talking to the same group, okay, as we've been reading about. Okay, we had the four soils and we had the lamp. Most likely he's still teaching to the same group since they bundled these, these parables together. Like one long teaching session. So as we look at Mark 4, 26, 26 and 27, it says, the, and he said, the kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, but he knows not how. Now, this parable that Jesus is telling the crowd is unique only to the book of Mark. Okay, that's the only gospel that we find that in. And once again, Jesus is telling stories concerning horticulture. Only as we're finding out, Mark kind of brought it to us last week. We are now the sower. Okay, so you're kind of mentioned somewhat in this, but you're not the focus. Okay, uh, the farmer's talked about, but he's not really the, the main point of the story here. In this story, as compared to, say, the receptivity of the four soils, okay, that really kind of focused on us, our hearts, and our ability to take in the gospel, whereas this story, the focus is on the seed, okay? The seed in this story is the gospel of Christ. It's the word of God, okay? So it's the innate power within the seed that we're focusing on here, okay? So this man, he goes and he plants. He scatters seed as he walks along. After a hard day, he's working this ground. He goes to bed, okay? He wakes up. Next day, sees nothing has changed. Nothing new. Goes to bed again, tired, wakes up. Another dawn and nothing. No visible change going on. Now, this man is most likely a better farmer than me, okay? He could know the perfect times to sow. He could know the perfect temps. He could know how, like, uh, how to fertilize. He's pulling weeds. He might sing to the seeds. I've been told that when you sing to plants, plants respond to singing, which as I was writing this kind of made me have a light bulb moment because if you've ever heard me sing, you probably know why my plants die. <laughs> I don't need an amen, Joe. Okay, that's, we can keep that to ourselves, okay? There's a reason my wife sings whenever we're up here playing, Okay. So he could know all this stuff, but he cannot make the seed germinate. He cannot, he doesn't even know how. Verse 27 tells us that he doesn't know the exact intricacies of how that little seed takes in nutrients from the soil, the sun, the water, and then creates this tall plant that produces fruit that in and of itself then makes more of itself. He doesn't know how. It's a mystery. The man, the farmer, has no control. Okay? Now, the same holds true with matters of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 tells us, so this is Paul writing, and he says, I, Paul, planted. Apollos, his friend that came along to help with the growth of this church, watered. But it is God that supplied the growth. Okay, now, I'm all of 5'5". Five five. My license says that I'm 6'2". 
when I wear tall shoes or cowboy boots, I can make five, six, maybe, okay? So my mom was six foot. My dad was basically six foot tall, okay? But from first grade through, like, sophomore or junior in high school, I took allergy shots every week. And the doctor at the time said that it could have stunted my growth. So in theory, I could have been a full-size person, okay? That's the only thing that kept me from playing pro sports, you know? If only that. I can't make myself grow, okay? I have some control, a little bit of control over my body, you know? But I can't make my hair grow. I can't make my bones lengthen. And unlike Dwight Schrute, I can't raise and lower my cholesterol at will. So if I can't even control my own body, what makes me think I can control the heart of another? Okay? What makes me think I can determine the spiritual health and growth of my child or my coworker? Now breathe in that, rest in it, because are we called to pray for our kids? Absolutely. Are we called to raise them in the word and try and teach them the way they should go? Yes. Are we called to share the good news with our friends and coworkers and people we meet? Emphatically, yes. But the growth, the salvation, is the Lord's doing, not yours. You aren't that powerful, and that's okay. <laughs> it's okay to, re- to recognize that and to realize that. You cannot will or force growth in another. I can raise my children in love and grace and truth. I could do my best to point my girls to Christ and show them their need for him. I can pray for them. But ultimately, I have no control over their hearts. And for someone like me, that's a control freak. That's a very hard thing to wrestle with. Because, it, because knowing what I know, I want them to know that same thing as well. And I want them to be able to walk in that ex- and experience that. But they are their own person. You aren't powerful enough to determine that. Luckily, and thankfully, I shouldn't say luckily, thankfully we serve a God who is. As we look into verse 28, we see that the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So when we see by itself here, it means automatically. Without visible cause, without human help, Again, what God intends to do, he will do. There is no plan B. There's no doubting. It's going to happen. The farmer, as we said, he goes out day after day and sees no visible change. But then one day he walks out and sees little blades of green pushing through the earth. A blanket of green where there used to just be brown dirt. The process is slow. And thankfully it is. It's not just a wave that comes on quickly and leaves just as fast. It can be a grind. It might even be almost imperceivable. I think that's a word. (laughs) To those of you that are gardeners and such, I don't understand you, but go out and try and find the exact moment that the blade or sprout pushes through the earth. So Tanner told us about his little Sunday school bean that he would plant Okay, he'd plant this little bean in his little Dixie cup, 
and he was hoping so much for it to grow up to the cloud so he could go find and rescue his princess, okay? But even as much attention as he paid those little bean sprouts, he could not pinpoint the exact moment of change. Slowness is really a grace. It allows for deeper roots. It allows for vitality. Remember that shallow soil we talked about? That wasn't a healthy plant. So even weeds out here, they can grow in con concrete. I don't know how. <laughs> they do. But they're not healthy, right? The, there's no soil for that thing to grow into. Okay? We need that that time and that grace for those things to grow down deep. We don't want it to shoot up quickly and then wither. That slowness allows for those roots to take hold. It allows for a healthy growth in baby Christians as well. It's like a pastor that goes out week after week, right? It can be painful. It can be slow. It can even be, seem stunted growth, be it like pastoring or maybe, as we'll see, in your own home. So this pastor goes out week after week, faithfully planting seeds in his community and seeing no visible change, no awakening, if you will. I've heard it said that 16,000 pastors every year leave the ministry. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was on the internet, so it's got to be. Okay? I'm sure it has to seem like a thankless job at times. Lots of wasted effort even. But they need to hear that parable as well. Because then imagine the joy of getting to see those people walking into the salvation that God has called them into. Seeing the dead come to life. Seeing those little specks of green coming through the barren earth. And so let's take it a little closer to home. Maybe you're a parent that prays for your child. You're doing your best to pour into them and love them while teaching them truth and grace. And yet they reject. Maybe they're apathetic or even hostile to the gospel. To your attempts. I know that there's got to be heartbreak in this, but the work of the Lord will not be fruitless. Philippians 1.6. <laughs> so the girls, this was their memory verse this week at uh, uh, VBS, so I thought it was great that they were looking at the same thing. But Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Take heart that the Lord will bring to fruition the work he is doing. It's going to happen on his timing and not ours. Continue to pray for your friends, your family, your kids. Continue to press in and share the gospel. Continue to preach truth, grace, forgiveness, all the while knowing that the Lord is the one who causes the change, no matter how slow it may seem, how frustrating it may seem, how stunted it may seem. If God is calling your child, your spouse, your co-worker, your friend, etc., his will will be done for his glory alone. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So numerous times in scripture we see the sickle representing judgment. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the sickle, it's this long curved blade. has either like a long handle or a short handle at the end. And they would use it during harvest season to go in. They could get huge swaths of grain, right? Um, think of what the Grim Reaper uses, right? Okay, that long curved blade. Now, 
unfortunately, because of the Middle Ages and <laughs> uh, pop culture, that, that symbolism, symbolism of a sickle has kind of been hijacked, right? It's this terrifying image and things like that. And yes, to be sure, there will be a judgment that's going to befall mankind. Because when we look at Revelation 14, 15, it says, And another angel came out of his temple, or out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat down in the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, and the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. It sounds super intense. And yet I propose a different perspective. This verse that we're looking at here should well up joy in those that God has called. Christian, as a son or daughter of the king, this signifies the culmination of the kingdom, the coming of it. The coming of everything that we are looking forward to is now happening. The Father who has planted and caused that spirit, his spirit to grow in you, will bring you home one day. The church, the bride, his beloved, will be brought into an everlasting and perfect union with the one who has made us holy and blameless. The victory is already secure. It's done. Okay? And that time is already set. And it's going to happen at the very moment the Father has planned. You don't have to stress over it. You don't have to try and control and make it happen. God is good and he is sovereign. And I want to make sure that we're on the same page when we talk about sovereignty. We sing about it. You know, we might, you might hear it as we pray. But I just want to make sure we're all kind of on the same page here. So to be sovereign is to be in complete control. Not doubting. Not caught off guard. Okay. Say you're, you're trying to share the gospel with your child, and they say they don't care about it. Maybe they are apathetic, right? God's not caught off guard by this. He's like, oh, dang, what do I do now? <laughs> I was really counting on you to do that work for me. Okay? He is in complete control over this. So we can't always see the work of the gospel in the lives of those we interact with. We take the word, we take the good news of Christ, the light, and cast it. But we can't make it grow. But we can trust in the one who can and does. God causes the growth and the change because he's the one who rightly gets the glory for the growth and change. Not you. So when we take these parables that we've been looking at of sowing seeds and being the light and combine them, we kind of get this next story. Mark 4.30 says, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make their nest in its shade. Now, I love how Jesus opens this next parable with a question, verse 30. Now, make no mistake, the Lord is not at a loss. He's not confused. He's not like, oh, what can I, how can I go about saying this? He's not having a brain fart, Okay. Asking a question really helps draw the crowd in. And it was a pretty common technique that rabbis would use at the time, too. Okay? You can almost feel his, his excitement. He's like, what can I say about my dad's kingdom here? How can I make it hit home for y'all? 
it might even seem like as if he holds the kingdom of God in high regard. The mustard seed that he's talking about, it's really small. It's insignificant. They're tiny little things like a grain of salt or something, right? Little bitty things. And they were really common in this area. So these people knew exactly kind of what he was hitting at here. The seed is minute, but it grows into this shrub and continues on until some sources say it could reach 15 feet high. I'm sure some commentators would say, no, it could reach higher than that, or they would say, no, it does this. But that's not really the point here. We're not going to get lost in that. Okay, what we're looking at is the, the, the idea, okay? These branches expand. They become sturdy enough for critters to nest in, to find shelter. And how beautiful of a picture is this for something small than to grow into something that encapsulates everything. So we have the kingdom of God infiltrating our world as a poor child. He was born to a blue-collar family in the middle of nowhere. Hey, have you ever tried finding Israel on a map? Any geography fans? It's tiny. It's little, okay? This poor child grows up to become a homeless man who had very few true friends. He was not part of the national government. He held no office. And yet, the message of salvation would not be contained that small group of people added to their day or added to their numbers daily as the book of Acts tells us. And you think, these guys were there at the beginning, okay? Um, If this was some sort of farce, there's no way these guys would be willing to lay down their own lives for it, for a lie. Maybe if I was there at the time, I could convince you to do something as long as it didn't affect me. Maybe I could somehow weasel it to become wealthy or gain power But that's not what these guys were doing. Year after year, these people were overthrowing empires by becoming martyrs. They wrote letters that changed the course of history. As their numbers grew, churches began to spread all over the known world, and all this happens within a few decades. The tree we see in the story is what happens when people take on God's family business. When human responsibility and action are combined with God's divine sovereignty, it adds to this eternal church. That's what the tree is signifying here. It's the church, not Redeemer Odessa, not Little C Church, but Big C Church, the church that's existed for thousands of years now. In those 30 branches that provide shelter, the church becomes a shelter for the broken and lost. As the tree provides shelter, so can the church, and I don't necessarily mean like in a physical sense, but we are to be a safe place for people to be known and to point people to the one who loved them enough to take their punishment on the cross. Another thing I've heard about this mustard tree is that they were hard to kill. You couldn't hardly get them out of your garden. I've heard one scholar say that these things had super hardy roots. And this makes me think of our lovely mesquite trees slash shrubs. You know mesquites are not even native to Texas. Okay, they're from Russia, apparently. So what I've, again, what I've heard on the internet, so it's true. But have you ever tried killing a mesquite? They literally don't die. Okay, they don't. And honestly, besides the goat head, it's one of the few kinds of plants that I can't kill on my property. And I think this speaks to the staying power of the church. 
fads, trends, new religions, intellectual philosophies, cultures, they all change. But a movement that was ushered in by a homeless man 2,000 years ago refuses to die, maybe because this man was God in flesh who came to make sons and daughters out of his work on the cross. Why can't Jesus just say this? Hey, you guys are going to become the church. Why can't he just speak plainly? (laughs) In 33 and 34, this thing keeps getting hung up. In 33 and 34, we see that with many such parables, he spoke word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything to them. Stories stick with us. Whenever Jesus was speaking to large crowds, he'd use these stories because those that were dying to hear what he had to say, those that knew the wicked condition of their hearts, those that were broken and contrite, they would understand. Those who were searching would understand, but to those that were hardened, it would only make them harder. These parables were a chance to push in. They were a chance to really lean into the uncomfortableness of what, I don't know if that's a word, my wife said I should say discomfort. (laughs) I liked uncomfortableness because uncomfortableness is a hard word to say and it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) So it's a chance to lean into that, to hear what you needed to hear, but maybe you didn't want to hear. These parables, when you step back, they're an invitation an invitation to know the God who is holy and dangerous and wild and a God who calls you out on your wickedness but is also there to bandage you up and make you whole. It's like trying to learn about my wife. We're going on 14, wait, 14 years in November? Something like that. And there are things she says and does to this day that I still don't fully understand but they can create an awe about her, a wonder about her. These mysteries can draw me in. Now, don't mishear me. I am super selfish, and I'm not the best husband, so I'm not trying to make myself seem like, oh, I love everything she does. (laughs) Try not to embarrass her too much. But if I allow myself to push in, It gives me a deeper understanding of who she is. It gives me a deeper understanding of her heart. I think that's what God's trying to get at with these parables as well. He wants to be pursued. He wants to be pushed into a little bit. He wants us to draw into him, lean in a little more, maybe scratch our heads and really think about what he's trying to say. Because Jesus isn't so concerned with horticulture. He's not concerned about mustard seeds. What is he trying to get at behind these stories? So how do all these parables we've looked at the past several weeks, how do they all lead into each other? And I think when we have receptive hearts that God has called according to his purpose, when they take roots in the gospel and then share that truth with those around them, it leads to the continued expansion of the bride of Christ. That's what he was building up to here. As Mark said, we are the sower in this story. God has awakened in you the glorious mystery of his word. Now you get to take part in spreading that same mystery and grace and truth of forgiveness.
and I want to make sure, uh, since we're talking about sharing the gospel, I want to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page with what that is. I feel like that's pretty vital here, okay? Uh, I think if we stray too far from that, we can get really squirrely and things go awry. So the gospel that we get to share is that we have a holy God who cared so much about our fallen state that he took it upon himself to make us right. We are more broken than we could ever imagine. But God sent his son, born of a virgin, to be the embodiment of the law that we could never live up to and to pay the price for our freedom by dying on the cross. And then to make it even better, he rose from the dead, forever solidifying his authority and making us sons and daughters of the Father. That is what we get to take out. That's what we put our roots down into. That's what we put our trust in. That's what we put our foundations in. That's the light. That's what we get to take out to those around us. But the farmer can only plant what he has already. And the branches can only bear fruit of the tree that they're connected to. Now, we've established that I am no expert on planting, okay? But in my mind, as I'm thinking this, if I was a farmer, okay, I can only plant out of what I have in my supply. A farmer's got to be well stocked up. He's got to store seeds so he can plant more. You can plant nothing. You can give nothing if you haven't been stocking up yourself. When you look at a tree... Okay, you can trace the line of fruit through the little branches, through larger branches and larger still, until it comes to attach to the trunk of the tree and then ultimately the roots that feed the tree. You can have this correlation, this line that you can draw back. Some of you maybe as you think of like your salvation story and how God called you to himself, you can maybe trace people back through time that were pointing you towards him. It's the same idea. But the branches cannot will fruit to happen. They can't tell themselves, hey, make a pear. And they definitely can't bear fruit if they're not connected to the tree. That thing is dead now. So just like you didn't make your salvation happen, you can't make others step into theirs. Right? That's not your job. Your job is to share your job is to be faithful. Your job is to honor the Father when he gives you those moments. But your job is also to remain full and attached to the one who saves. Okay? We have to be getting nourished by the word so that we can shine the light and plant those seeds where we go. You can't give someone something that you don't already have. We need to be a church that is reading their Bibles. We need to be a church that knows God's word so that we can share his word with others and join in the family business of adding to his church. Now, reading your Bibles doesn't save you. We've established that Christ's work on the cross does. Okay? He did his work on the cross. He defeated death. But... We get to read about the one who loved us so much that he took on our sin and death. 
we get to read about that. We get to join in and sit in that. We get to then see his story, okay? And we get to have our eyes open to these little branches and tracing our own story through there. We get to see the lines of grace that run us back to the roots. One last thought kind of about the grain, the harvest, the tree, right? They're not for the enjoyment of the the grain itself, for the plant itself, for the tree itself. They exist for the enjoyment and the blessing of others. Namely, the one who called them good and brought them to himself. Remember, all of this is his power, his timeline, for his glory alone. I would say that when we trust in his goodness, when his power and his authority over our situations, be it family, friends, coworkers, whatever it may be, your job again is to stay in the word, to stay connected, and then to take that out. And as he opens up those opportunities, to take them knowing full well he's the one in the driver's seat. Okay? But I feel like I can't leave talking right here, standing right here. It would be inappropriate for me to not quote my boy C.S. Lewis. Jack, as we, I know him. Uh, of the church, he says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. If we aren't doing this, if Redeemer Odessa isn't doing this, if the, our local churches aren't doing this, if that's not our focus, then everything else we're doing is playing church, and it's just noise. The church exists for the glory of God. It's not for us to come and consume. It's to make him famous. Let's go about making him famous. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, in your sovereignty you could take my jumbled words and make sense of them in these hearts, Lord. God, I pray that you would do with your word what you will. I pray that you be glorified in our, the rest of our time here this morning and as we go out into this week, Lord. I pray, God, that you would stir hearts to push into you more, to lean into you, to soak in your word. I pray for those that are struggling with maybe not seeing that fruit coming to, to bear. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just give them patience and grace in that for themselves and for their friends, coworkers, family, whomever that may be. Lord, I pray, God, that they would trust in your divine plan and your goodness and your calling. I pray for those parents here that are maybe struggling with trying to get their kids to step into that salvation. Lord, I pray that you would edify them that you'd surround those families with people that love you and are loved by you and can point them to truth. Lord, I pray that as we go out amongst our jobs, school, whatever it may be, Lord, that, that your glory would be our focus, that we'd be sensitive to those opportunities, Lord, to plant those seeds and to cast your word out there, knowing that 
it will not uh, be fruitless. Lord, you are good and you are holy and you are so kind to make us your sons and daughters. I pray over these next several songs, Lord, that there would just be freedom and rejoicing in that, Lord, in your good work. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.